Has the critical illness race become a marathon? What use are great claim statistics if no one knows about them? Why do we platinum plate compliance and other bureaucracies to the extent that it strangles growth? This week, it's just me and the mic. I get these subjects off my chest and invite your comments and thoughts. That's all right here in episode 43 of the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast. Welcome. You're listening to the podcast for providers and advisors looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of protection and finance. For each episode, you can find the show notes and links to things we talked about at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. So let's get on with the show and here's your host, Roger Edwards. Hello and welcome to the Empath Podcast. Having been asked to schedule some recent interviews into specific times, I find myself without one to publish this week. So today it's just me and the mic where I talk about some topical issues from the world of marketing, protection and finance. I do have some great interviews coming up though, so do please keep tuning in. I'm most grateful that you take the time to plug the Empath Podcast into your earphones. If you enjoy the show, please leave me a review on iTunes. It only takes two minutes. Go to rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a few words. So let's talk critical illness marathons, claim statistics and platinum plating. Has the critical illness race become a marathon? Hardly a month goes by without Cover Magazine's news pages featuring another tweak to a critical illness policy. Adding a few new conditions here, some partials there, and ABI pluses everywhere else. One of the great conundrums of the protection industry, the illness race is essential to allow those players in the advice sector to retain market share. But whilst the cover offered is undoubtedly comprehensive, the race hasn't grown the market nor increased consumer demand for the product. The customer sees expensive premiums and policy documents of epic length crammed full of medical terminology and complex language. Some commentators say critical illness products have become too complicated and that we need to look at a simpler solution. Personally, I do not believe that it's possible in the advice space. There's no way back. The illness marathon will continue. It's the only way for the intermediary providers to compete, however farcical it's become. But I still can't help wondering what critical illness could have evolved into had we not charged down the route of adding more and more stuff to an already overloaded specification. At a recent industry dinner, talking to a reassurer about the state of the market, he asked a fascinating question. If we knew 20 years ago what we do know now about how critical illness products developed, what would we do differently and what would they look like now? Perhaps one route would have been to make the product less about large sum assureds for paying off mortgages or propping up a lost income, after all, isn't that what income protection's for, and more about emergency funds, perhaps to cover medical bills, or allow people to act on the advice of something like Best Doctors or a Red Ark Second Opinion Service. By keeping the sum assured lower, and therefore the price, critical illness cover might not have become categorised as a luxury product. But if we still had all the conditions, partials and ABI pluses, that would still be a complex product for a modest amount of cover. Ironically, however, some advisors successfully use the low cover emergency fund angle in their recommendations, perhaps adding a small amount of critical illness cover onto the full amount of life cover. 
I quite like the low sum assured model, especially when allied to the aforementioned best doctors, helping hand and second opinion services we have now. Perhaps it could have evolved that these added value services would have been the main selling feature of the product with the emergency cash as the enabler. But what about a simpler list of conditions? Would that work? Would that ever have happened? Some companies have tried and failed to make that approach work, even in the direct-to-consumer sector. And although 80% of claims are for cancer, stroke and heart attack, would a product with a built-in exclusion for the other 20% ever be trusted? The fact is we are where we are. Critical illness cover is complex and will continue to become more complex. It's a product that needs an advisor. It's the archetypal advice-driven protection product. I'd still like to see a message built around emergency funds though, and for that we do need to make the products less wordy. How long before we can get to a definition that simply says, diagnosis of, well, insert the illness there, diagnosis of heart attack, rather than a page full of ifs and buts. Perhaps that's where critical illness products will ultimately evolve to. Is that possible? Where do you think critical illness cover will end up? Get in touch at rogeredwards.co.uk or tweet me at roger underscore edwards. What use are great claim statistics if no one knows about them? There have been some great headlines recently shouting out about how many protection claims we've paid. Here's one from Money Marketing Magazine. The protection industry paid out £3.1 billion in 2013. And here's another from Financial Advisor Magazine. Insurers paid out 97% of critical illness claims. Undoubtedly, these are great protection claim statistics. As a spokesperson from an insurance company said in the Financial Advisor piece, the figures released by the ABI today shatter the illusion that insurance companies don't pay claims and demonstrate how important it is to have cover in place. Well, you can't argue with that. But as great as these figures are, it's like hundreds of trees falling in the forest. You won't hear them fall unless you are there to see them. The public still think that protection providers actively try to avoid paying claims. In fact, they think we pay out less than 50%. The articles in the Daily Mail and features on BBC Watchdog fuel that perception. Only a very few people will go looking for great claim statistics like this. Confirmation bias means they'll seek out the negative articles that confirm their belief that we do not pay. Articles like this are great for an advisor to whip out when a client raises a question about a company's willingness to pay, but the mainstream audiences just aren't seeing these statistics. Another life company spokesman agreed and recently said, as an industry, we need to pull together to make better use of claim statistics to help the sales and tackle fears that claims won't pay out. It's always a key time of the year for the industry when we release this information, but stopping there is simply not enough. Well, these are wise words, but words are not enough here. What are we doing to promote these amazing claim statistics? Where are the case studies with claimants? Where are the video testimonials from clients? Where are the interviews with people holding their checks up? Statistics alone will not change deeply rooted perceptions. We need to tell the stories of the people whose lives have been affected. It's not about promoting the claim statistics, it's about telling the stories behind the claims. Do you agree with that? Should we be telling more stories? What are you doing to promote protection? I'd love to have a chat with you about it. Maybe you'd even like to appear on a future episode of the podcast. Get in touch at rogeredwards.co.uk or tweet me at roger underscore edwards. Running a business in the UK is complex enough. So why do we platinum plate compliance and other bureaucracies to the extent that it strangles growth? 
Early in my marketing career, back in 1997, an American company invited me to travel to Chicago to present about critical illness cover. Their marketing director had seen me talk at a UK conference and felt I could help them launch their protection range in the States. It seemed a long way to travel just to deliver a couple of seminars. So I spoke to Swiss Re, our primary reassurer at the time, and they set up a week's worth of meetings with US financial services companies. A couple of colleagues accompanied me and we spent the week sucking in knowledge and ideas which we hoped to bring back across the pond to try in the UK market. We also managed to visit a great blues bar for an evening in Chicago and listen to some exquisite guitar playing. One business meeting, however, sticks in my mind to this day. The larger-than-life, cigar-smoking marketing director of a large protection insurer welcomed us into his office and gave us his perspective on business. Not an accountant or an actuary, he was a career sales and marketing man. I can still hear him saying one of his pearls of wisdom. He leaned forward through the smoke and said, Never employ more people to count your beans or measure your beans than you do to grow your beans. Now, nearly 20 years on, I hear those words every time I come up against bureaucracy from the companies I deal with. And that's admittedly not just from the financial services sector. How many of us employ more people to count and measure than we do to grow? And how much of that extra headcount is because we have platinum-plated the guidelines? I see companies with 48-hour approval processes for tweets, which require sign-off from compliance, marketing, legal and customer service. I see marketing teams have to fill in 20-page procurement forms to engage someone to write a 500-word article for a blog. I see complex internal IT legacy systems that stifle the ability to experiment and require 18 months or two years to build new propositions. Positions. When I studied marketing at university, I remember reading about two approaches to business, marketing-led and sales-led. It seems these days we are either led by risk and compliance or IT and projects. The FCA's recent paper on social media, that's FG15 oblique 4, means that companies should find it easier and simpler to comply social media messages. So I believe the time is right for businesses to accelerate, or at least begin, to put their social media and content marketing strategies in place. Will this happen, or will companies build another complex process around the guidelines that continues to stifle creativity? It's time to stand up to the often self-inflicted complex and bureaucratic business landscape. I believe that success means we must simplify our propositions and simplify our messages and create incredible content and experiment with new marketing tactics to grow our businesses. And that means simplifying the governance behind them. It's time to devote more energy to growing the beans rather than counting or measuring them. Do you think I'm being unfair in my views here? Have you any examples of platinum plating? What are you doing to make things simpler? Do get in touch at rogeredwards.co.uk or tweet me at roger underscore edwards. And that's about all we've got time for this week on the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really am most grateful that you choose to plug the Empath Podcast into your earphones. And just a little reminder, if you've enjoyed the show, please do leave me that review on iTunes. Only takes two minutes. Head over to rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and please leave me a few words. Thanks again and have a great week.
for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. If you are a provider or advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model you'd like to talk about, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's all just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.